This is Worthlessly Worthwhile. You took four minutes of my life and I want them back. Oh, I'd only waste them anyway. Now your host, Art and Rich. All right, it is another edition of Worthlessly Worthwhile. This is Rich Brown. I'm joined by Art Aronson. Art, how are you? Good, man. Good, good. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. This is our uh, Christmas edition of Worthlessly Worthwhile. And let's get to today. Uh, we got an NFL game. The Panthers are visiting the Saints tonight on Monday Night Football. Uh, another head coach fired in the NHL officially today. It was reported yesterday. And in the NBA, a coach has been extended. But, Art, let's let's just start with the NFL. We got the Monday Nighter, big game in the NFC South. We got the Saints and we got the Panthers. Who do you like? I'll tell you, these, these Monday nights, these Sunday nights, even the Thursday night matchups this year have all been really good, it seems. And this one, it's... Uh, it, it's it's great as well. You got the NFC South matchup, Carolina six and seven, and you got the Saints who look to be world beaters at eleven and two. I and okay, I was surprised at some of the finishes this week in uh, this week in the NFL. What I found was all the teams that needed to win, that had to win, except for maybe the Giants, won. <laughs> it's the Giants so, though. Yeah, it's the Giants. So, so I'm I'm going to say I think the Panthers pull this one out tonight. I do. Okay, you kind of ruined things, Art. Art here. I you weren't. I was going to be the one to make the bold claim that the Panthers were going to win this game. <laughs> You've taken it from me, but somehow we're on the same page on this one. Yeah, I I agree. Um, couple reasons: divisional matchups are always a lot closer, especially in the NFC South. We saw it last week with uh, Tampa Bay against the Saints, and the Panthers are a lot better team than Tampa Bay is. So um, you got Carolina at home Monday night. They have to win this game. The Saints, they'd like to win, but it's not imperative. The Panthers have to win tonight. They're at home, divisional matchup. Uh, I think they're six-point underdogs in Vegas, but I think they're going to actually win this game outright. Um, They haven't looked good the last few weeks, but I just think that, this week, they will put it together, and they'll get the W. The only thing I'm worried about with Carolina is Cam Newton. I mean, there's word out there that he might have some sort of debilitating injury, like an injury that's affecting his game. Yeah, a lot I, of people think the shoulder. It's a shoulder injury. Yeah, the shoulder. Yeah, the shoulder. So maybe that is a deciding factor, but I think they lean heavily on Christian McCaffrey, uh, DJ Moore in the running game. They do some, you know— uh, wide out sets and just flip the ball over and let those guys make plays today. I think that's we're going to see a lot of that today. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, yeah, it is a shoulder injury. Of course, Cam had the surgery. I think it was just a scope surgery, but uh, before the season started, he had that procedure done. So there is some talk that maybe it is still affecting him, and he hasn't been great of late. But like you say, they can lean on Christian McCaffrey. Um, you can run screens, you can run draws. You know, it, this is the week that they have to win. Even though you're dealing with a potential shoulder injury with Cam, I think this is the week that you take the training wheels off of Cam or you take the uh, the chains off of him and you start designed runs for the quarterback. You have a lot more uh, RPOs coming in and that's going to be a formula that I think can get them a win tonight. 
it's not something they like to do a lot of, I think, because, of course, you don't want Cam to get hurt. And when he's already playing with a hurt shoulder, that's a risk. But when you have to win this game, um, I think you just have to kind of take the gloves off and, and give it your best shot. So I think that's what they're going to do tonight. And I do think they'll they'll come away with a win. And it will probably be a, a lot to do with rushing and not a lot to do with throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, I agree. And I think Newton's going to hurt him on the ground as well because his his body is, seems to be fine on the lower half anyway. Uh, if, though, the Saints win this game, I'm prepared to say that they're the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I will be that impressed if they go into a big Monday night football game against their division rival, Carolina Panthers, who have to win and take the game. I would be very impressed if they got the victory. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. When you look at the other favorites heading into this week you would call the Super Bowl favorites the Rams um they obviously took a step backwards there this week the Chiefs Chiefs they lost lost. the Chargers I guess you could say the Chargers are now maybe emerging as one of the favorites but the Chiefs lost you got the Patriots lost um the Cowboys lost the Seahawks even lost I mean those guys weren't at the top of the list but the Rams and the Chiefs were and they didn't look great this week so there's definitely room for the saints if they like you say this is a big game for the panthers um it's a tough place to play in on a monday night you know it's going to be a pretty energized crowd for the the national tv game um so yeah if the saints get this one i think you're right i think they're the clear favorite to win the super bowl this year Uh, that being said though like you said the panthers have to win and we saw so many other teams this week that had to win we saw the eagles win last night on sunday night football we saw pittsburgh win in the big Uh, game against the Patriots Uh, we saw the Colts win as well against Dallas like they had to get that victory and we're seeing so many teams here down the line we saw uh, Washington win as well they had to win so the team that had to win this week won so I think going into these games it's it's a big deciding factor uh, which way I feel I should lean when I'm handicapping games. And maybe I made that mistake going into this week because I didn't do great in my pickums. But now looking back, I should have made that a bigger point of emphasis when I uh, wanted to decide who was going to cover the spread and who was going to win this week. Are you bring up Washington? How big of a dumpster fire are the Jacksonville Jaguars this year? I mean, <laughs> just look at Washington for reference sake. I mean, They're starting Josh Johnson. He's their fourth quarterback. Their first two quarterbacks broke their legs. I can't even remember what happened to Mark Sanchez. He was in and out so fast. They have to sign Josh Johnson, who hadn't even been on an NFL roster in a few years. He hadn't started a game since 2011. He comes in, makes the start, and they beat Jacksonville. I mean, the Jags are just a complete mess. Did you hear the story about Josh Johnson, like, not knowing any of his teammates and the way he learned their names was by playing Madden? Like, it's a great way to prepare. By that logic, I'm ready to join Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah. I, I, anyway, yeah. The Jaguars are by far the most disappointing team. They were a play away from the Super Bowl last year. It makes you wonder because I, I really think there's so many problems with the team. Obviously, quarterback play is a huge issue, and sticking with Blake Bortles was the wrong choice. However, if you, a lot of people are giving grief to management for sticking with Blake Bortles, but if you go back to last year when they did go to the AFC Championship game, you know, you have to remember Bortles was great in that playoff win in Pittsburgh. Um and he was good against the Patriots. And he too. was good against the Patriots too. So a lot of people were saying you can't 
you can't move on from your quarterback after what you just did in the playoffs. You, you kind of have to stick with them. Now, I would have liked if they had brought someone in at least to give them some sort of competition. Cody Kessler is not that guy. This is someone who couldn't even stay on the field for longer than a week at a time in Cleveland. And up until this year, they haven't been able to find a quarterback in a couple of decades. So uh, Kessler's not the option. But I think if they had gone out and got a guy like Teddy Bridgewater or someone that could have just pushed Bortles a little bit so that if he doesn't play well enough, this is someone who's quality that can come in and actually start games and potentially win. Obviously, they didn't have that. Bortles is a train wreck this year. He's gone. But another huge issue for this team is leadership. Jalen Ramsey is supposed to be the best player on this team. And week in and week out, he says things to the media that you just look at and you go, this is a kid who really doesn't get it yet. He's not a leader. He says things that are super selfish and it's just, it's a problem. So in my opinion, the Jags have a long ways to go before they become Super Bowl favorites again. It starts with getting another quarterback, but uh, it starts with leadership in the room as well. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the long way. Uh, When I look at the, when I look at the, the Jags this year, they look like a team that are kind of have, let's say had a great rookie season and they're having a sophomore slump. Maybe they read their press a little bit too much in the off season. Jalen Ramsey had that huge spread in sports illustrated and uh, maybe it wasn't sports. I huge spread. And it was in GQ, ESPN. I believe. I think it was. Well, maybe it was. Okay. It, it was a non-sports magazine. Was it? A, yo, okay. yeah, I think it was GQ. Yeah. And then he did, he did one with Mina Kimes too, I believe for ESPN. And everything was about Jalen Ramsey. It was like the summer of Jalen Ramsey. And then he talked about what quarterbacks were good, what quarterbacks were crap, he called them. And uh, it was it it was headline-making material, and everybody was loving Jalen Ramsey. And I think the team may have gone a little high on itself coming into this season. And then, yes, Blake Portals is another thing. I think people are a little upset with that decision to, like, give him another contract, you know? But again, he's not he wasn't like making a lot of a guaranteed money in this contract. I think I think if you look at it, his guaranteed money is not really that high. Uh, I think that's where people were questioning the continuing with Blake Bortles just because you had to give him another contract just because that's what NFL quarterbacks command these days. Right. So, yeah, they were between a rock and a hard place place with Blake Bortles. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have signed him to the long-term deal, but they kind of had to. I think you add that to a team that's just young. So that's why I think maybe next year they get a quarterback in there that isn't, you know, isn't as volatile as Bortles, and the defense settles down a little bit. Leonard Fournette is a guy who can rush the ball. If he can stay healthy, they can rely on that running game and that defense, and they should be right back in it next year. For whatever reason, things just didn't go right for them this year. In, and that means even like in close games, they just managed to lose them like they did against Washington there. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the they're a long way from contending again. I think they're a piece away and a few better bounces away from being a contender. I don't know if it's that simple, though, because – yeah, it looks good on paper. You just you get a new quarterback in there, maybe things turn around. But I think the the atmosphere there has become so toxic now. I mean, 
they're talking about uh, yesterday. They're asking Doug Marone, "Is your job safe?" He's saying, "You know, I'm not the one to ask. You got to talk to management. You got to talk to Tom Coughlin if my job is safe." So we don't even know if Doug Marone is back as head coach. And then when Jalen Ramsey is asked, "You know, are you worried for your your coach's job? Do you think his job is in danger?" And his response is, "I'm not worried about anyone but myself." I mean, it's just it's a toxic place, and I can't see Marone coming back obviously Ramsey's an important part of that team and that's not exactly a vote of confidence a lot of people speculating Tom Coughlin might be the one that ends up coaching this team next year I'm not sure that's the right idea either but I'm just not so convinced that it's just a quarterback that needs to come in and turn this team around I think I think they need a whole culture change there and it's so not Tom Coughlin, the way things have gone there with the toxic oh, toxicity in the locker room, right? So, opposite. yeah, you're right. It's very strange what's going on there. And it sucks, but they do have the great talent on defense, and they do have a great running game. So, for me, maybe a few pieces, maybe they find a way to flush out the bad apples in that locker room, and then they can come back and contend. Perhaps. A very interesting week, though, in the NFL this week. Um it was all about breaking slumps against specific teams. You had the Browns had lost 11 straight to Denver. They beat the Broncos. The 49ers ended a run of 10 straight losses to division rival Seattle. That went back to 2013. The Chargers ended nine straight losses to Kansas City. That was a huge one. Bears had lost eight straight to the Packers before they beat Green Bay yesterday. And sorry, Art, the Steelers had lost five straight to the Patriots before they grabbed that W over New England yesterday. So pretty interesting week overall. A lot of, uh, I guess you would say, unexpected results if you're just looking at past history, uh, recent history, that is. Uh, you're right. Also, I forgot. I should have mentioned Green Bay is a team that had to win last night, last um, yesterday, and didn't win. So there's another team that didn't get it done. But things have just been going south for that team since uh, since like week three of the NFL season. So um, yeah, there are a few teams that haven't been able to get it together. Jacksonville, of course, one of those teams. Green Bay, one of those teams. Uh, but yeah, a strange day in the NFL. I, I guess I can look back at it now and be like, wow, that was really cool. But like watching it, uh, I miss seeing the Patriots destroy the Steelers because they just have always done it, right? Uh, it's not, it's, been, not uh, it's been an annual tradition lately. You know. uh, not necessarily anyways. destroying them, though. Last year, wasn't, wasn't that the... Uh... Wasn't there a, a big play or a big, I don't know, a call late in the game? I feel like that yeah, game was, was close last Jesse year. Yeah, there was the Jesse James The Jesse James call, catch. that's what it was, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Okay, well, not destroyed, but they do, they've, they've been able to they come out them. on top always, they you know? They beat them, yeah. I gotcha. But it was an interesting weekend, and this is going to make up for a very interesting end to the season. There's only a couple of weeks left, and there's a lot of things not decided. This is what the NFL wants, man. We got it. I think it's it's really up in the air right now. Um, you know, Philadelphia stays alive yesterday with a win as well with Nick Foles. And they were 13.5-point underdogs. I mean, that's that's the uh, – I think I heard the biggest underdog, uh, a repeating Super Bowl champion or a defending Super Bowl champion has ever been the next season uh, since 1995 when the 49ers were a 13.5-point underdog to the Cowboys. So – that's pretty big, and Philadelphia obviously took offense to that, and they just went straight out, and they won the game. Nick Foles, all he does is win, 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 right? He's 3-0 and in his last three starts. And he, he's going to stay uh, as the starting quarterback. That was announced today 
by Doug Peterson that he is going to remain the starting quarterback at least next week. Uh, but Carson Wentz is not going to be put on IR with this uh, fractured vertebrae that he has. Not not sure what the thinking is there. Perhaps they're just kind of, you know, he shouldn't play, but I guess if it came down to it, he could play. So maybe if Nick Foles was injured and they needed to get a, a win, they would put Carson Wentz in, and that's why they don't want to put him on a IR and end his season officially. But Nick Foles is the guy going forward, and after what happened last year, you got to believe he can get the job done. Now they've got some work to do if they're even going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, they're in a dogfight in the division they still have an i think they still have an outside shot at winning the division with the cowboys if the cowboys lose out and they win out i think they might have a chance at winning the uh, uh nfc uh nfc what is that the nfc east there mm-hmm. but i mean we don't see that happening but yes nick Foles, what where are you on the philadelphia eagles this year because of course they won the super bowl in stunning fashion last year What do you think has gone on there? Because Carson Wentz has been healthy for just about the entire year until quite until right here at the end. They just don't look like the same team, though. It's it's really tough to put your finger on why this team has not been as strong as you would have expected them to be. I mean, you could say perhaps it's a Super Bowl hangover. I don't know. Is that true? It's something you can't quantify, right? You can't you can't look at them and go, oh, that's a, that's a Super Bowl hangover. That's what I'm watching. I don't know. Because it's easy to say it's the same team, but it's not the exact same team. There are differences. And one of the biggest differences, uh, you and I talk about this, but I, I don't hear this in the news ever um, when people are discussing, at least on the na- national scale, when people are discussing the Eagles and what's wrong with them. Frank Reich the, was their offensive coordinator last year. Now he's the head coach in Indianapolis, which, by the way, is has got to be the most improved team in the NFL this year, just like the Eagles were last year. And now they're a threat to win the Super Bowl. So maybe, just maybe, uh, the secret weapon in Philadelphia last year was Frank Reich. I think you have a point there because, I mean, when you watch the Super Bowl and some of those really creative plays that I think Frank Reich was uh, one of the architects of those plays. And I'm watching Philly, last Philly. night... I'm watching last night against uh, in the in the Rams Eagles, and I know the Eagles won the game, but there was a fourth down play near the end of the game, where if the Eagles get it, the game's over. And they ended up doing very predictable run play through the middle, and Jamal Adams didn't get the the extra yardage on the fourth down. Because it was right just before the center half. It was in that funny place where you, you can't kick a field goal, but you don't really want to punt either. And they made the Brock, or uh, they made the they made the decision to go for it, and it was just not a great play. And I it got me thinking once again, Frank Reich. You know this guy. I think he's a creative offensive genius, and uh, everybody thought maybe it was Peterson, maybe it's Frank Reich. And I think watching this year. That could be said. The Eagles' offense just isn't quite the same. Even you know, though all the same pieces are there, pretty much. Such a big win for them yesterday over the Rams on the road. Rams being considered one of the NFC favorites. And this win over them on national TV, nonetheless, keeps them alive in the playoff chase. So I think there's this belief that, you know, here come these underdogs again. Um, but like you say, something just hasn't felt the same about this Eagles team this year. And I don't think they're going to have enough to make it into the postseason this year. It just doesn't seem like their year, right? It's kind of the same with the Falcons yeah. a couple of years ago. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, feels the same. 
And maybe the same could be said for the New England Patriots. After watching them lose again on the road, they have like a they have a three and five record on the road this year. Not very good. They have looked like a good team, but they certainly have not looked like the New England Patriots that we're used to. Um, and of course, I would never take them out of the running for a Super Bowl. But it just—I agree—it just doesn't feel like their their year either. What What do you think is the problem in New England? Now, I'm a, I'm really close to it, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to have an unbiased. Uh, point of view what is your view from the outside your truthful view I want to hear this well I think uh, their defense is just not as good as years past maybe they're not quite fast enough they're not intimidating enough Um, they certainly need an edge pass rusher that's a big issue with the Pats I think Uh, not enough pressure especially coming from the outside so um, and then the other thing, I, I, the offensive line has had some really good games. They've had some games where they've run the football extremely well, but they've had some games where they haven't been able to run the football, and uh, Brady has been kind of under siege. Um, we know Brady is not the guy that's going to necessarily extend a lot of plays with his legs. I mean, he is into his 40s, but he's a very cerebral uh, quarterback. He sees the field extremely well. He reads coverage extremely well. So if you give him enough time, chances are he's going to be able to dissect that defense. But he just a lot of people are <laughs> this is the fun part about sports right you got Tom Brady who's considered the goat the greatest of all time um but year after year people want to take him down a peg they want they want the story of the amazing Tom Brady finally succumbing to father time and his skills dropping off but I, I don't know that it's any anything wrong with Tom Brady and that's why his numbers aren't where they are uh, this year that they were in years past. I think maybe it's just a case of not as much time in the pocket. Yeah, and I wonder about that because I I watch very closely, as you know, as a Patriots fan, and I agree with you. The defense is not that great, but the defense hasn't been great for years. Like, I can't remember the last time this defense was intimidating. Like, we got to go back to 2007, 2008. Their defense team... was good enough to get their coordinator a head coach job, though. No, and it shouldn't have. As much as I love Matt Patricia, I, do you though? He, Still, well, the way the, the way that he has handled himself this year as a head coach, now that he's the one out in front of the media, do you love Matt Patricia? He's a little bit of a crazy person, don't you think? Yeah, he's a little bit of a crazy person for sure. But I loved him when he was in New England. He was one of the guys, you know. He wore the Goodell goof shirt walking off the plane. He was behind Tom Brady. He was one of the guys part of the dynasty but as an actual defensive coordinator I feel like I could have told anybody going into this year that it wasn't going to be a success right away or maybe even a success at all because I was never that impressed with the defenses that he had you know he'd have spurts where he'd show okay that was a pretty good plan for this defense was that you Patricia or was that Bill Belichick you know and then other times the defense couldn't stop a lick and I mean, you look at the Patriots defense now and it's not really that great either, but it looks about the same as when Patricia was here. So to me, maybe it's just Belichick's defense. Belichick's defense is letting him down a little bit this year. As for Tom Brady, I watch his game and I think he's the same. He's been the same for the last like five years and it's everything around him that has changed. Uh, Does he throw outside the numbers as well as he used to? No, but I I think what makes up for that is is his ability to to read the defenses and call the audibles and 
uh, get the checkdowns exactly when he needs to get them. And that's made up for not being able to throw outside the numbers as well. He's doing that better than he ever has. So to me, he's as good as he was five years ago. Uh, maybe Gronk's not as healthy as he has been in years past. People have been talking about him like he's got a he looks like he's got a piano on his back. Yeah, he's not the fastest guy in the world, and maybe he's breaking down a little bit. Maybe that has something to do with Tom Brady uh, not having the numbers that he's had. Uh, but I think, yeah, the offensive line, not quite as good. Uh, the running game, when the running game is working well, the Patriots seem to be winning this year. So I think that's going to be the key to the Patriots' success if they're going to make another run at the Super Bowl. Is Sony Michelle going to be able to run for 100, 125 yards uh, each game? That also keeps a little less pressure on uh, the defense. So if I were to make an unbiased view of the Patriots, it doesn't seem like it's their year, but they do still have Brady and Belichick and it's hard to bet against those guys. Something interesting uh, that I've noticed this year, uh, with the Packers struggling so much, there's been a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers, mm -hmm. and you know he, he's not, he wasn't happy with Mike McCarthy, and that's why his numbers were struggling, and he wasn't very good. But somehow there was a debate of who the GOAT was between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and I just found it so ridiculous because Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl and Tom Brady has five. And the argument was, well, if you watch Aaron Rodgers, he clearly has the best physical skills of any quarterback. Uh, he's got the best arm. He can he can make these ridiculous plays. But being a quarterback is so much more than what meets the eye. And I feel, I really do feel like the, the best measure of a quarterback is wins and losses. And the reason for that is as we touched on with Brady is it's such a mental position, um, reading the defenses, calling the correct audibles, making your, your reads on your progressions. Uh, do you, if your first read is covered, your second read is covered, but you find your third read. I mean, that's what makes the mark of a great quarterback to a good quarterback. So just because Aaron Rodgers has the strongest arm or whatever, the most talented arm we've ever seen, that does not put him in goat conversation because he hasn't even been able to get even close to the kind of success that a guy like Brady or uh, past guys like Peyton Manning, other players like that have had in their careers. And I, I just don't get it. I don't get that argument because it's like they're just completely taking out the mental side of being a quarterback. And to me, it's the biggest part of being a quarterback. Yeah, and I didn't know we were going to get into a Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers discussion. Well, we never know where we're going to go on this show, Art. It's worthlessly <laughs> yes. worthwhile. We're wasting our time and everyone else's. <laughs> I love it, and I love this conversation. But I, I, I don't love this conversation, but I like talking about it. I, I, I hate that it became like a conversation this year of wanting to downgrade one to prop up the other. And for me, it was very difficult to try and downgrade Tom Brady, a guy who has come up year after year on the winning side uh, in the big game. Aaron Rodgers hasn't come up to the on the winning side of the big game uh, very often in his career. And people are saying that it wasn't his fault. It's Mike McCarthy's play calling. It's the defense that let him down, yada, yada, yada. All that might be a little bit true. But yes, I think Brady does a lot more to help his team than people give him credit for. And... The fact that you they want to just look at the eye and think, oh, Aaron Rodgers has a better arm than Tom Brady. Yes, he does. Oh, he's better at running with the football than Tom Brady. That's true as well. But as you said, 
There's a lot more to that. There's a lot more. There's leadership. I watch Aaron Rodgers, and I hate, I don't want to criticize Aaron Rodgers because I like Aaron Rodgers, and I think he's one of the greatest talents and greatest quarterbacks of all time. But when I watch him, I question his his uh, leadership a little bit. Some of that aw shucks attitude that he has uh, on the sidelines, some of that when he's actually in the pocket trying to maybe do a little bit too much and uh, he's a veteran in this league now. He should know his limitations, and I think. And I think sometimes he tries to do, he tries to take it all upon himself, and he shouldn't do that. He should live to play on the next play, you know, go for the next play. So, no, I, as much as I want to say Tom Brady's way better, I don't want to downgrade Aaron Rodgers, even though I kind of did just there. Um, to me, I'm with you. It comes down to who comes out on the winning side more often than not. Brady's done that. That's why he's the GOAT. And let's wait till Aaron Rodgers' career's over. Who knows? Maybe he, uh, you know, has a run where he wins three Super Bowls in a row, and then we can have that conversation, right? Well, it could happen, and a lot will depend on who they hire as head coach. But uh, what I'm getting out of the conversation we just had, after a, a lot of discussion, we have determined that Tom Brady, good at football. <laughs> breaking news right there. Da, da, da. In case you hadn't heard. Um, okay, let's let's switch gears. How about uh, well, staying in the in the NFC North at least, Minnesota fires John DeFilippo as offensive coordinator. They promote their quarterbacks coach to call the plays. They come out, score twenty one points in the first quarter on the way to a big win over Miami. What I find so interesting about that is uh, John DeFilippo was fired after last week's loss to Seattle. About a week prior to that, his name was still being included as potential names for head coaching vacancies this offseason. The Browns um, being one team that would be interested. Did he coach himself out of a chance to be a head coach? It's crazy. I mean, this is the NFL. What have you done for me lately? It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. We talk like Tom Brady's been going to the he's been to the Super Bowl the last three of the last five years. And people want to say that he's going downhill. And you see DiFilippo. This guy's been coaching this team all year. And then, yes, he has a couple of bad... The offense has a couple of bad uh, appearances highlighted by that shutout almost the entire game in Seattle. And then he's out the door. He's no longer a coaching uh, head coach uh, candidate. I don't know. I... Yes, probably he has. But this is the why NFL, was he though. even... It's mean. Why right? was he even in the discussion? I mean, look at the way this team has functioned offensively this year. They, Cousins has been good, don't get me wrong, but you just go back to last year. Pat Shermer uh, was the offensive coordinator, now head coach of the Giants, and Dalvin Cook had a fantastic rookie season until, uh, you know, I don't. I know he didn't make it through the whole year. He tore his ACL, but he looked great, and even Latavius Murray was good in his absence once, um, once he went down, once Dalvin Cook went down. So, then you come into this year. I know uh, I hate to bring fantasy into the conversation, but I, I will. Because um, you and I were in two different leagues together, and I had Dalvin Cook in one. You had Dalvin Cook in the other. Because we both wow. saw the potential. This is going to be a guy that can break out this year. And for whatever reason, John DiFilippo never tried to establish the run game. Um, I believe I, was, I read a stat, I can't remember if it was uh, the Seattle game, even though they almost got shut out until the very end there. Dalvin Cook had 12 rushes, which was a season high for him. That's insane. I know he missed some time with an injury this year, but that is 
crazy. Um, so they get rid of DiFilippo. They promote their quarterbacks coach. First game with the new play calling, and Dalvin Cook scores two touchdowns, 100 and something yards. I think it was like 100 and, 120 or 140 yards, something like that. Um, he had a great game. So why would you hire someone who <laughs> clearly was running his offense poorly? Yeah, it's a good point. When you look on paper, on I said before this season, I think even on this podcast, I said that the best team on paper was the Minnesota Vikings. I think I agreed Offensive. with you. Yeah, on they offense my, and defense. They were my like, pick to win the Super Bowl. You look at their offense, they have two of the best wide receivers in the NFC or even in all of the NFL. You've got Stephon Diggs, you got Adam Thielen, and then you got a pretty serviceable tight end, Kyle Rudolph, who has very underrated MIA this year. Like, where in the world is Kyle Rudolph yep. gone? And then you have a decent offensive line. You got a quarterback who has shown to be able to move the sticks his entire career and has for the most part this year. I don't love some of his plays that he's against the Blitz. I mean, you could put that on the offensive line. I don't know. You could put that on him not calling the right audibles. And then you have Dalvin Cook who's a great player. I think maybe the problem with Filippo in this offense is they didn't realize who their best player was. Dalvin Cook's their best player, even though it seemed like Adam Thielen was their best player for most of this year with all those consecutive 100-yard passing, uh, passing games that he put together. I think maybe the fact that they were just one-dimensional and weren't running the ball... That's why he got fired, right? Yeah. And maybe that's the reason why this team is so underperforming. Yeah, I, I think it was a big reason, and uh, it was a good performance. I mean, uh, you and I both expected a, a letdown from Miami after the, the big win over the Patriots, the way it happened, and it did come. But I think you still have to give credit to Minnesota and the offense, scoring three touchdowns, going up 21 nothing in the first quarter. Um, Miami did claw their way back into the game before Minnesota ran away with it in the end, but very interesting. Art, we've spent an awful lot of time talking about NFL football, but we, we got to give, um, we got to give a little bit of time to basically there's two things that's on TV a lot right now. You got NFL football and you got Christmas movies. I watched a lot of football <laughs> this weekend, but I've also been setting the PVR when the different Christmas movies come on. I like to get a collection going on the PVR. So nice. the big question you posed this to me, uh, the other day, I didn't give you an answer because I wanted to save it for for the recording here. Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2? I've got both on the PVR. Which is the superior Christmas film? We got Home Alone 1. This is my house. I have to defend Classic, right? And then Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. You was here last night too, wasn't you? <laughs> yes, sir. I was. You was here, and you were smooching with my brother. I'm, I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. Both quality films. Okay, so what is the superior Home Alone art? You've been smooching with everybody. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know. They're, they're both so good. I love Daniel Stern and I love Joe Pesci as the bandits, the wet bandits, whatever they call them. The wet bandits, yeah. Yeah. I just, I think both those guys, they're like cartoon characters and they're so good. Uh, the first, the first one, I, you know what I really love 
about the first. You know what? The second one's just as good, though. I'll say I'll say in this way. I'm talking about the score of the movie, the way they have the Christmas music incorporated mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like we even heard it in that clip there. Right. With this is my house. I have to defend. Like the the great score for both movies is so good, and it really feels like a Christmas movie. I the acting is incredible. Uh, Macaulay Culkin will live on in infamy because these. These movies are so good. I have such a hard time picking which one I like better. I might just say the first one because it came first. That's the only reason. But I love the second one, too. I really do. So here's my analysis of the first two Home Alones. Let's leave three, and I think there was a four and maybe a five out of this because they just don't count, right? Does not count. Although... Go. Uh, Scarlett Johansson was in Home Alone 3. Did you know that? I did not, but now I'm going to have to go back and check this. What was she like? 15 14 years old at that time yeah maybe even younger maybe even younger okay well that's very interesting but what i find so interesting is that home alone 2 you know generally when you have a sequel to a movie you have to kind of take the characters and create a new story but with home alone they said home alone was great let's take that exact same movie and set it in a different city and it's just as good it and somehow the, works. The only other franchise or sequel that I can think of that took that same kind of idea of just using the same formula from the first movie was the Hangover trilogy, but it didn't work. Hangover 1 is a classic, but it's actually kind of been downgraded in terms of top comedies because of how bad the second and the third one are. But Home Alone and Home Alone 2 are both Christmas classics. I but, agree. I think... I think the other movie, the other, I, I'm going to give you one more okay. uh, sequel, mm-hmm. two movies that were put in different places that worked, Rush Hour 1 and Rush Hour 2. Okay, yeah, that's true. Maybe Bad <laughs> Boys Christmas as well, movies, right? So let's get back to Home Alone. <laughs> we, we've kind of strayed here, but I, I am going to say Home Alone 2, I think, I, coming into this, I was thinking the same as you. Home Alone was the first one, and that's maybe why it should be considered better. But something about Home Alone 2, I don't know if it's like, the New York is a very Christmassy city. It feels like I've never been there, but all the stupid movies that are set Perfect. there. It may, you know, you got the Rockefeller uh, Center or whatever with the big tree, and I don't know something about New York. So Home Alone Two, it's just got this like special feel to it that I think makes it the best Home Alone. Central Park too, right? It feels really Christmassy there. They have the ornaments up on the big trees and everything. Uh, I love Tim Curry as another side character in the second one, mm-hmm. as the concierge. Yes, the like, concierge. He's fantastic. And Rob Schneider, the like yes, right. the other concierge. <laughs> he's like tip tip, and he like gives him his gum. So good, so You'll, good. The other uh, person that's not noticed very much. Actually, this is a different movie. Um, I just noticed this when you sent me the clip. So we're gonna move on to some other movies that we like. So you're gonna hear Chris. Parnell from Saturday Night Live fame is in Jingle All the Way. Here's the clip. Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a German doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> what? Is she laughing? <laughs> what did I say? These, these, these guys are looking for a turbo man? A German <laughs> doll, yes. <laughs> They're looking for turbo man. <laughs> Jingle all the way. Classic or not? 
I think it's a classic, and maybe I'm the only one that would put this movie in their top five. It's, I think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of his most underrated films. I just love everything about this movie. And yeah, I love Phil Hartman, and I forgot Chris Parnell, even though I sent you that clip, is in this. I, I, I just love the little side characters in this movie and i love the whole premise of this and schwarzenegger running around it's like it's not an action movie but schwarzenegger shows his chops as a lovable father in this movie you know it's so true again it's such a stupid movie but i totally agree it captures the christmas spirit it's a great christmas movie um yeah i I don't know what it is but i also love jingle all the way fantastic film i got some other ones for you art here's here's a good one because here's the debate. Is this a Christmas movie? Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I mean, he says ho, ho, ho. Yeah, Alan Rickman in Die Hard, the greatest bad guy of all time, starring Bruce Willis in the start of one of the greatest action series ever. Uh, is it a Christmas movie? This is. This comes every every year this argument you see it all over social media is die hard a christmas movie i think it's clearly a christmas movie so i have to i have to preach honesty here um have not seen die hard i know no surprise to you probably but perhaps anyone who might be listening i have not seen a lot of classic movies die hard is on that list stop this podcast go watch die hard (laughs) I don't know. Alan it doesn't Rickman, interest me. Rest in peace. I love the guy. And that's one of his best roles. Hans Gruber, man. You got to see it, dude. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll put it on the list. Uh, I'm going to start another podcast where I review films that have been classics for the last 30 years. What should we call it? The Rich Brown Late to the Party Classic? <laughs> Way Rewind? too late movie reviews with Rich Brown? Yeah, you could, uh, you could do well with that. I'll have to put it on VHS or something. Okay, I got a couple other clips from uh, some Christmas movies that are classics. There's, there's a few that I wasn't able to find some some clips from. Um, Christmas Story, got to be a classic. Haven't seen it. Miracle on 34th Street, haven't seen it. But I think those are classics, right? Yeah, all classics. Uh, I in in my top ten, uh, I think those first uh, two movies uh, that we talked about: Home Alone One, Home Alone Two, Die Hard. Those are my top three. Jingle All the Way, maybe at four. Uh, maybe one of those sneaks in at five, a Christmas story, just because it's so classic, right? But yeah, those are top 10, if you ask me. Okay, so I'll give you two that... I'll give you three, actually, that I watch every year. There's only three Christmas movies that I watch every year. Home Alone's not even on that list, although it it might have to be added into the rotation because I don't know how I forgot how great they are. So I'll probably have to add those in. But uh, first one might be a bit of a surprise, um, but I don't know. This movie got me when I was a kid, and so I just keep watching it every year. This year, Santa's not going out in a sleigh. This time, he's going total tank. <laughs> Wait a minute. No way. No way Santa's going anywhere without his sleigh. He would if he's trying to sell the total tank. Well, isn't that a pretty picture? Santa rolling down the block in a panzer. The Santa Claus with <laughs> Tim Allen. I don't know. I love it. Is it a classic? I mean, Tim Allen is great, right? I don't know what it is about that movie, but I enjoy it. I, watch I don't it know year. if it's a classic, man. But it's probably not Tim a classic. Allen but I'm... And they, how many how many of those movies did they make? 
Oh, okay. I only care about the first one. I think they made three or four, but no, yeah, I think they made three. The first one is the the original is the real one. It's not like Home Alone where the second one was good. I don't think. I think that's I think that's what's great about this Christmas list, though. Like everybody has their favorites for whatever reason, and usually it starts at childhood because that's what's great about Christmas is that young magical feeling you get. It's nostalgia. Right Christmas time. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we love these movies because of the depth of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> it really speaks to me. No, no. I think it's it's strict nostalgia. Um, and I got two more for you. Uh, this one, absolute classic, has to be watched every year. I was just uh, smelling, smiling. I was just blouse browsing. <laughs> for your wife or your girlfriend? Uh, what? What happened? <laughs> Oof. Chevy Chase, very horny in a Christmas vacation. This is a National Lampoon film after all, but... I gotta watch I'm that one so happy you put that on because for me, it's definitely a top 10 and maybe it's top five. Maybe I should put it there ahead of uh, a Christmas story. It's, it's, right it's just there. so good, right? Uh, Cousin Eddie is, is fantastic in that one. Um, it's one of the best National Lampoons for sure. I don't know what it is about those National Lampoons. I just love the eating scenes, you know, <laughs> like the buffet scenes. I don't know why. They just put me at ease. I like them. And then uh, here you go. The most recent of what I would call the Christmas classic list. Time for the announcement. Okay, okay people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. I remember seeing <laughs> Elf in theaters, and I don't know that I've ever laughed so hard in a movie theater. I was just... You know, sometimes when you're in a theater for a comedy, uh, the laughter is infectious. So, yeah. and and he, it's just such physical comedy with Will Ferrell. And people were cracking up. It was a full movie theater, and I just loved this movie. And so I, I watch it every year as well. I don't. It doesn't have to be Christmas for me to watch this movie <laughs> and laugh at it. It's one of uh, it's one of Will Ferrell's best movie where he's like the lead. You know, it, it was a make or break movie. I don't know if. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have any audio for this, but Will Ferrell has said that he thought when he did this movie, it could kill his career. Like his career could be over. It might be that bad because I'm sure when you read the script for it, it probably doesn't look like a classic. But with Will Ferrell as the elf, it is total classic. He he just was the perfect person for that role. He killed it. And I think it launched his career to a new level instead. I agree, but let's be honest. Will Smith's so talented, there's no way one movie would break this guy. Like, he could go back to being the greatest Saturday Night Live guy of all time. That's you true. Know? He was fantastic on Saturday Night Live. Will Ferrell, that is, by the way. Will Smith was never on Saturday Night Live. Did I say Will Smith? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, well, some Ferrell. other uh, honorable mentions on the list here that I didn't get to. Um, let's see. A Muppet Christmas Carol. That's a good one. Uh, Bad Santa, just the first one. Enjoyed that one. A Billy Charlie Gordon. Yeah, that's right. A Charlie Brown Christmas, of course. Yeah. And The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Tim Burton. Yeah, it's on the list. It's a good film. 
Right. Uh, one uh, animated film that's not that uh, we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever watched this, but for whatever reason, I loved it when I was a kid. It was a short. It was just Frosty the Snowman. Yes. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah. I, wa- I always watched every year uh, the two on TV along with Charlie Brown. Um, yes. The other two were Frosty and Rudolph, which that's right. I don't know. <laughs> very interesting what happened this year with Rudolph. It was streaming on CBS a few weeks ago. And so it was on national TV in the U.S. So everyone was uh, was watching it and then going on Twitter. And it was quite noticeable that everyone is very, very mean to Rudolph. Even Santa is a bully. His own father bullies him. Um, Rudolph gets treated very poorly. And yet they still put it on television. But he did end up uh, leading the sleigh that night with his red nose. So he won in the end. Did you hear that uh, that reindeer... Someone said reindeer are actually blind. So really, they wouldn't be able to see a red nose. Well... I heard that on the radio today. I was like, okay, I don't know who came up with that. Or, you know, I thought reindeer were mythical creatures. So, okay. You've broken the story wide open that <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where flying reindeer with a red nose leads Santa's sleigh. Not scientifically accurate. Thank you for that. All right, that's uh, Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, there's our uh, our Christmas our Christmas talk. Speaking of Christmas, NBA, the only league that plays on Christmas, and Oklahoma City Thunder have picked up the contract of head coach Billy Donovan. Uh, he was he, I guess he had an option uh, for next season, so he is now signed for this season and for next year. Uh, good move. I think it's a fine move. Their their problems are always going to be their problems. Uh, Westbrook he's what's great about this team and he's also what's bad about this team because he can't bring a team to the next level and he has to have the ball the entire game and for me it doesn't matter what coach you have in there it doesn't matter what players you have playing with Russell Westbrook whether it's Paul George whether it's James Harden whether it's Kevin Durant uh, they're always going to fall short and I see no difference now with the rest of the great teams in the Western Conference. Uh, can you even see them beating a team like the LA Lakers against LeBron James in a playoff series right now? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I suppose they could. They're a good team, but like you say, it's um, Russell Westbrook is a very selfish player, and the way winning basketball is played now, um, they can win in the regular season. They might even win a playoff round, but they're, I don't think they're ever going to be considered a threat to win a title until Russell Westbrook learns how to share the basketball. Um, That's why Kevin Durant left. You know, Kevin Durant takes an awful lot of heat. Why would you leave OK City when you were one game away from knocking off the Warriors in that playoff series the year before, and then go join the Warriors? And I don't think it's crazy at all, because I just think he knew that he wasn't going to win anything with Russell Westbrook. I mean... Westbrook is a good player, but Kevin Durant is probably one of the top two. Most people think one of the top two uh, or top three basketball players in the world right now. And he was deferring to Russell Westbrook. Give me a break. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense why he left. So, um, but yeah, Billy Donovan has done a nice job with that team. They, they do run everything through Westbrook, which when he's on your team and he makes that much money, you kind of have no choice. Yeah, absolutely. 
and he's a strong coach. He, I mean, he showed it at Florida all those years, winning those back-to-back champion or heck, being in the finals for back-to-back years uh, with that Florida Gators team. And he's been fine with with Oklahoma City. Uh, but yeah, Russell Westbrook's the real problem there, and it's not going to fix with whatever coach you have in there. Yeah, we got um, eight games tonight in the NBA. The Thunder are at home. They got the Bulls in town. 76ers at the Spurs. That's an interesting one. Pistons are hosting the Bucks. That game's ongoing right now. And tonight, the late game, the LA Clippers home to the Portland Trailblazers might be the most intriguing matchup of the evening, but nothing uh, nothing crazy tonight. You also got the Jazz against the Rockets starting. Uh, no, it started 39 minutes ago, so they're still going. Um, let's move to some baseball news, though. Jay Happ, uh, the pitcher, is signed with the New York Yankees. He was traded there from the Blue Jays midseason last year. He was looking to get a three-year deal. He got two years plus a vesting option for a third year. Uh, apparently, the vesting option for the third year just has to do with innings pitched. As long as he hits a certain number, he will get that third year. Um, good signing for the Yankees. I think he's, yeah, I think it's a fine signing. He's about a f- number five starter on a really good team. And I think that's what the Yankees are. They're a really good team. And they're going to have a chance to make it to the World Series with the type of lineup that they have. And if they can put together the pitching, yeah, they can get there. And I think Jay Happ is a perfect four or five starter. They lost out on uh, Patrick Corbin, but nice to at least get Hap back. He he pitched pretty well for them, actually, since since the trade midseason there near the deadline. Um, he pitched really well for the Yankees, so I think it's a good move to get him back. Um, also, free agency news, the Yankees appear to be focusing their attention on Manny Machado. No surprise there, although I uh, don't know that if I was a team, any team, not just the Yankees, I would invest a lot of years or money in Manny Machado. Um, he's not Johnny Hustle, and I say that because he said it. So, yeah, he's just not the type of guy that I think is a leader, but he's a nice nice addition to what's already a good team. But I just don't know. I'd give him a lot of years. And um, I guess, you know, he is familiar with the NL, uh, sorry, AL East, though. So if they do end up getting him, what do you think? I think he's one of the most talented players in Major League Baseball. I think he does have a few problems when it comes to league leadership and teamwork and all that sort of stuff but maybe and la or uh, new york's maybe not the greatest place to go and hunker down and play baseball because it's new york it's the big apple right but he would go there and just be part of a star-studded lineup it can't hurt and uh they have dd gregorius at uh shortstop uh, machado could play shortstop he could play third base there uh, they could probably use a third baseman. He would be fine. He would be fine. They would have to give up a lot of money for this guy. I don't know if it's a great move, but it's not a bad move. And staying with the Yankees, I don't I don't know why I have all this Yankees news, but not a, not a team I love to talk about. But this is a good one. I like this story, Art. Um, you remember last year, last, last weekend of the se- uh, season, I don't believe, I say last year, last season, um, last game of the regular season or last weekend anyway, CC Sabathia on the mound. He has a certain number of innings to hit to make his $500,000 bonus for innings pitched in a season. He, I believe, needed seven innings in that game. He was into the sixth inning and retaliation for one of his players had been hit with a pitch earlier in the game. He retaliates by throwing at a player. It gets thrown out of that game. Uh, for defending his teammate there and therefore does not hit the innings bonus. 
I don't know if you remember that. However, the New York Yankees gave CeCe Sabathia that $500,000 anyway. How about that? That's a cool, cool, cool story. And I don't remember that exactly. I do remember the game, though, and I do remember him throwing at that player. I didn't know that that was the storyline behind the scene. Wow, that's really cool. And you wonder why uh, people love to sign with the Yankees. They're not cheap. They take care of their players. It's just another example of that. That's exactly right. That's good business. Um, you know, you can you can write that off on your books as just uh, keeping keeping a good relationship with your players. And it not only keeps CeCe Sabathia happy, who's been – uh, pretty loyal to the Yankees over the years, could have signed elsewhere last year and went back to New York. Um, but it also sends a message to everyone else that's on that team that, hey, we're going to take care of you. Don't worry. So, you know, you stick up for your teammates. Hey, you missed out on your innings pitched. Don't worry. We got you. So that's a good move from the Yankees. Yeah, I love it. And CC Sabathia, like you said, he's been a standout on that team for a long time. And he had a good year last year. So, you know, maybe if he's even a fringe starter, you could pull him out of the pen during the uh, playoffs. He's a guy that uh, is his his uh, leadership and his veteran his veteran leadership is just unparalleled at this point in his career, I think. Maybe pinch run him at some point. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. probably not a good idea. Um <laughs> Okay, how about uh, how about this one? The Philadelphia Flyers struggling uh, these days. Art, we saw them. Uh, we're located here in Western Canada. We saw them on a West Coast trip that ended in Vancouver on Saturday night with a five to one loss, down three to one early. They have fired head coach Dave Haxtall. Um, probably the right move. Dave Haxtall, if uh, if you don't know much about him, was hired out of college hockey. Very rare to see a college hockey coach make the move to the NHL. He was the North Dakota head coach, which, by the way, is a very good program, but probably a little bit out of his element. Uh, yeah, he was the head coach of that team with uh, Drake Kajula, Nick Schmaltz, Brock Besser there. No, he was just before. Or, oh, yeah, he brought in Brock Besser. That's right. That's he recruited he okay, those right. guys, yeah. but um, he didn't actually get the chance to coach them. That's right. Hextall, I mean, this the writing was on the wall, right? The, the GM that hired him, Ron Hextall, get fired a few weeks earlier. The team's underperforming. You look on paper, this team should be way better than it is. They don't have a goalie, though, and <laughs> that that's on the GM as well. I feel bad for Hextall a little bit, to be honest with you, the way it shook down because it, this was being reported for, you know, a day ahead of it actually happened. And I heard a rumor today that... He actually asked for some certainty from the uh, the higher ups that he wasn't getting fired, and they weren't willing to give it to him. And then they finally made the call. Did True you hear that? or false? Uh, Ron Hextall hired Dave Hextall because their names were close. I believe that's, that's completely true. true. Yeah, it's true. I thought so. I um, rumors do have them hiring Joel Quenville, who was fired by the Blackhawks earlier in the season. Very successful head coach. He's won multiple Stanley Cups with Chicago. Um, he was an assistant on the 1996 Cup winning team in Colorado. Um, very good head coach. However, they have not named him as the interim coach. So originally the story came out, Dave Haxtell has been fired. They're going to bring in Quenville. That's not what's happening though. They've promoted their AHL coach, Scott Gordon to interim coach, uh, Chuck Fletcher, the new GM. He does say that Gordon is expected to coach the whole year. So looks to me like they want Quenville. However, Joel Quenville may have options, including Seattle, which has just been named, um, an NHL city. They're getting a franchise in a couple years. He could be the guy that 
takes over that team. Uh, but it, it looks like the Flyers have their sights set on Coach Q. That's that's an interesting thought about Joe Quinville having a sight set on Seattle. We saw how great it was for Gerard Gallant being the first-time head coach there at Vegas and working so well with the new NHL rules and their expansion rules. You can get a pretty darn good team, right? Uh, I think Joe Quinville clearly has a lot of options, so he's probably going to take his time. But when you look at this Philadelphia team, on paper, it's a really, really strong team. They have a lot of good forwards and a lot of good young defensemen. So uh, Quinville, he probably is considering it. That's the way I see it right now. And uh, yeah, when someone, when a lot of people were like, okay, Quinville got hired for the job or he, reports say that he got hired for the job, I was like, you know what? This seems like a really good fit and it's going to be a good move for Philadelphia and a good move for Quinville. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually did happen at some point. When I first heard about it and it was, you know, uh, I read that, yeah, the Flyers want him, but he could be an option in Seattle. And the first thing I thought is, well, Joel Quinville's been around a long time. He must be pretty old. Um, Does he want to wait a few years before the Seattle franchise even starts playing? Uh, You know, how many years does he have left to coach? He's only 60. Uh, He took over his first head coaching job was the St. Louis Blues. Like I said, he was on that 1996 cup winning team for the Avalanche. He took over as head coach of the St. Louis Blues in 1997. So he was only 39 years old um, or had just turned 39 years old when uh, when he got that job. So he's been he was young when he started. He spent uh, 97 to 2004 as the head coach in St. Louis, then 2008 to uh, just a couple of months ago, head coach in Chicago. He's only 60 years old. So um, it, it might not be crazy to think that, you know, Seattle would be a great choice for him because, um, he, like I said, he's done 10 years in Chicago. If he knows, hey, you've got a job, but you got a couple of years off, that's, that's not bad, you know. Uh, play some golf, spend some time he's, in the sun. He's getting paid too, Rich. He's getting so, paid. And he got a good contract in Chicago, so... Yeah, I think right now the world is his oyster. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, so and I'm... he's wa- and he's watching the Chicago Blackhawks be maybe the worst team in the NHL right now. Yeah, Quenville was not the problem there. That was such a oh. bad decision to get rid of him. Such um, a horrible decision. That was I did not like that at all. This guy has done so much for that franchise. Three Stanley Cup championships. Oh man, the Blackhawks. You, you just have to remember where the Blackhawks were before he took over in 2008. They were not good for a long time. You'd have to go back to the days of Ed Belfour and Jeremy Roenick before you find a good Chicago Blackhawks team mm-hmm. before Joel Quenville. So um, three championships in, I don't know, what was it, like a six or seven year stretch there. And yeah, they have not looked good this year, but... This is a team that's kind of defied all the odds to remain competitive because they've had to pay out all these bonuses that had to do with winning Stanley Cups, which then goes towards their their cap hit. They've yeah. just continually cycled through players that are not named Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, or Duncan Keith. Those are the guys that they've kept, uh, Brent Seabrook as well, kept long-term. Everyone else has been kind of just a spare part. So eventually you were going to have a team that just, it didn't click, and this was the year. So I think it was a terrible decision to get rid of Quenville. But if I'm looking at it from his point of view, um, I think Seattle might end up making the most sense. 
I like it. I like what you're thinking, and that would be something else. I mean, we're here in the Pacific Northwest, and we love the Canucks, but having a great coach in Seattle and then having that team be a competitive team in the NHL, I love it, man. I love it. That would be fun. Um, here's something else I found pretty interesting, Art. Uh, Lee's GM Kyle Dubas. Dubas. I don't know how you say his name. Dubas? Yeah, Dubas. Yeah. Dubas, okay. Uh, so he was asked about uh, there's a lot of rumors right now that teams are going to be pretty willing to make offer sheets to restricted free agents next year. And two of the biggest ones are going to be Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, kind of their uh, super kids. These guys have been leading the way. Great team. And... His reaction was interesting because he basically just kind of shrugged it off and said, yeah, you know what, with the way we've got our cap set up, we're prepared, Uh, we can protect ourselves against any of that. And he's a young, young GM, youngest GM in the league. I think he's our age, Art. We're in our early 30s. I think Kyle Dubas is the same age as us. And Uh while he may be sending a message to his players that don't worry, we're prepared to keep you. I think the message he's sending to their agents is don't worry. We've protected ourselves to be able to pay your guys a lot of money because if they're going to get an offer sheet somewhere else, I mean, Austin Matthews might get $15 million a year, 16 million a year. And he's basically saying, well, we're ready to, we're ready to match. Well, if I'm the agent, I'm saying, show me the money. I think Austin Matthews is going to get as much money as he wants. And Kyle Dubas is obviously playing to the agents there, playing to the fans a little bit. Yeah, he's young. Uh, Maybe a little too honest. Maybe a little too honest and brash for sure. But when's the last time you've seen a big offer sheet in the NHL? Oh, it's since uh, (laughs) Brian Burke and Kevin Lowe got into... Uh, a big dispute over Dustin Penner, I believe his name was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that David Shea Backus Weber. one Don't forget the, the Shea Weber one as well. Uh, I, I just, I don't think, and I think he might be right about this, that offer sheets just, it's it hasn't really become a big thing in the NHL, uh, although those players are very good players and anybody would want those players on their team. I think the risk maybe is just a little too high with people putting uh, offer sheets out there. Uh, But right now, when you think about Kyle Dubas and his most recent move to sign um, William Nylander, people say that he kind of cowered to William Nylander a little bit. I think he won that. that. Nylander was reported to be asking for eight, eight mil a year or more. And he signed at the last second for six and something. 6.9, 6.9, Six, I think it was. Was it 6.9? So yeah. that's a lot less than what he wanted. Um, now, if I'm Toronto, I probably want to get him for 6.5. But you're a lot closer to the Toronto number than you are to the Nylander number. So I think Dubas won that one. Yeah, I just think that maybe he's still smarting a little bit from the negative reaction he had from that. Because Brian Burke went on national TV saying that the Leafs coward to William Nylander and his agent and this is going to affect Brock Besser in Vancouver the next year and other restricted free agents so him coming out and saying that I think maybe it's uh, it's a little bit of a shot at the rest of uh, everybody that's uh, you know criticized him here in the last month or so could be all right let's uh let's move back to football I got a pretty good clip from Post game yesterday, 49ers pull off the upset of the Seahawks at home. Um, 
49ers so banged up this year. They're playing with uh, Nick Mullins, an undrafted quarterback out of uh, southern Mississippi that nobody expected to be any good. He's been pretty good. But the biggest surprise, well, they've had a few. Matt Breed has been one. But George Kittle, the tight end, has been the biggest surprise for the 49ers. Um, Yesterday, after they upset the Seahawks in overtime... Keep this in mind where this story is going. The game goes to overtime, so it goes a little bit longer than expected. Now, here's George Kittle at the podium at 4.30 p.m., and he's wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt. This is from 1998, pretty sure. Big fan. Uh, yeah, tables, ladders, and chairs tonight at the SCP Center, and I will be there. It starts at 5, so you guys are kind of killing me right now. <laughs> Say again? Was that big on you in 1998? Uh, I literally just got it about a week ago. I found a guy that sells them uh, old shirts. Really worth it. George Kittle is jacked up to get through the SAP Center and see some, uh, what was it, ladders, tables, and chairs? Yeah, TLC or whatever that was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, obviously a beauty. Uh, he's not wrestling anymore, though, so I, I don't know how he, how he comes into play here. But obviously George Kittle's a huge wrestling fan. Uh, Kittle is a fantastic player. Like, He's coming to, into his own as one of the best tight ends in football. I think it's pretty clear. And he obviously has a little bit of uh, moxie, a little bit of charisma to go with it, like some of the other tight ends, like uh, Rob Gronkowski, who has the most charisma in the NFL. And Travis Kelsey's kind of that way as well, even Zach Ertz. So he's just following along with these kind of this uh, breed of tight ends who have uh, charisma and, uh, you know, star power in the NFL. Yeah, I think um, he he's really emerged as one of the top uh, fantasy tight ends in the league. He catches a lot of passes, and yards after uh, the catch have been ridiculous. He had a huge week two weeks ago, another big game against the Seahawks. Um, this is an interesting one, Art. Got to get this in right now. Breaking news from Monday Night Football. Uh, we've got a Will Lutz field goal, first of all, open the scoring to make it 3 nothing for uh, New Orleans. But Carolina, who we have with the upset tonight, Christian McCaffrey with the 50-yard touchdown pass to Chris Manhurts. 50-yard touchdown pass from Christian McCaffrey. We missed it. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what happened there, but didn't expect that. Holy moly. Cam Newton's arm must be toast. You got Christian McCaffrey throwing 50-yard bombs. I'm just imagining Christian McCaffrey lining up under center like, oh, yeah, he's playing quarterback now. You know, Cam's arm is pretty sore. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, this might though. be the reason we should wrap up this podcast to watch this game. Yeah, it's getting close. It's getting there. Um, or just to go back to our, our tight end conversation, um, Kittle, one of the emerging young tight ends in the league, another one uh, – possibly would have been on his level this year but he's missed the whole year hunter henry for the chargers tore his acl and otas he practiced today returned to practice for the first time now he has not been added to the active roster just yet they have 21 days to decide whether he misses the rest of the season or if they will activate him but if he can get healthy enough to play uh you got the chargers who are a super bowl favorite what does hunter henry add to that team if he can join the squad 
Well, he adds a running back that can run. No offense to Antonio Gates, who's 150 years old, but he has a hard time getting up and down the field. Uh, Hunter Henry, it could be huge here if the injury to Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen got hurt on Thursday Night Football in that win pretty early in that game. I'm hearing he will play next week, but still questionable. Yeah, but, I mean, you never know. It's These are, like... Any sort of lower body injury to these receivers really affects them, and maybe he's not the same guy. If you get Hunter Henry, he's just another option in a really well-oiled offense that is the San Diego Chargers. The Chargers are clearly one of the favorites to come out of the AFC. I think that's clear right now. Hunter Henry obviously would just help. Something that I think is uh, interesting about all these these young um, tight ends coming into the league, they're kind of... Um, you know, it's like the Tony Gonzalez syndrome almost. Uh, he was the first. Gronk then came in. Gronk's a little bit bigger than a lot of these guys, but now Zach Ertz is leading this new generation of tight ends, and he got Kittle, O.J. Howard, Hunter Henry would be in that group. And there's teams that you can look at that their offense is just missing something. And to me, it's having one of these tight ends. Uh, I look at a team like the Cowboys, who have really turned things around since they added Amari Cooper. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott is one of the best running backs in the league, young too. Now they've added Amari Cooper. That's helped Dak Prescott. But there's still one thing missing, and it's one of those tight ends. If they could get a guy like a Kittle or a Howard or a Henry, if they can find one of these guys in the draft, that would really give their offense um, just that other kind of dimension. They could use Jason Witten, couldn't they? Yeah, they sure could. And I think uh, people who watch Monday Night Football would love if the Cowboys would get Witten out of the booth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you're absolutely right. The way the NFL offense is going, and I think actually Bill Belichick was really big in kind of changing the idea before before Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez became like a two-tandem tight end receiving dynamos. uh, I, I felt that... Yes, there was Tony there was Tony Gonzalez and of course there was Antonio Gates. But I thought that Bill Belichick used his tight ends in a completely different way than had ever been used before in the NFL. And Zach Ertz, George Kittle, Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz, these are guys that have kind of feeded on that to make themselves big star players in the NFL. And I think that's only going to continue. And yes, I think every team needs a pass catching tight end. And I, right I think now, if, the way uh, the league has gone. there's a lot of teams that it would just completely transform their offense. Look at the Saints. This, this is probably one of the best offensive teams, if not the best offensive team in the league. One thing they're missing is that electric tight end. That may be what makes Kansas City the most electric offense is the fact that they have every facet. You've got the electric quarterback. Uh, obviously, they lost. Um, their their running back uh, hunt for unfortunate circumstances but where is a a pretty nice fill-in you got Mahomes as the quarterback you got Travis Kelsey as the the tight end he's fantastic and you got Tyreek Hill one of the most exciting wide receivers in the league so if I'm looking at New Orleans of course you've got Drew Brees he is the 
classic pocket passer, one of the best that we've ever seen. Doesn't matter how tall he is. He is one of the best pocket passers we've ever seen. He's a magician in there. Uh, They've got just this fantastic running game with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, a really nice pair. And you've got Michael Thomas, who's probably one of the emerging dominant wide receivers in the league. But if they could just add that one other element, man, I think they would be unstoppable. Yeah, and I think that getting that big tight end. That's why I love the O.J. Howard pick. And I unfortunately, O.J. Howard got hurt early, but I think he's right up there with Hunter Henry, George Kittle. I think Evan Ingram's really good as well. He just needs a better offense to be in. I think you're going to see one of these guys on just about every team because the NFL knows that you have to have a guy in there that is dynamic and can catch the ball. Very, very true. Okay, Art, as you said, uh, we've got this Monday Nighter going on. Um I think uh, this is this is a good time for us to call it an episode. Great to be back here on Worthlessly Worthwhile. Always fun to be joined by you, Art, and uh, just talk about the most random, ridiculous stuff that we can think of to do with sports or pop culture, whatever it is, uh, we find our way into it. And time to watch some Monday Night Football. How about it? Yeah, Rich, uh, where can we find you online, Rich? Oh, yes, we've got to do this. I am on Twitter at Rich Brown Sports. You also on Twitter at Art Aronson. Check us out. We are uh, Art and Rich, hosts of Worthlessly Worthwhile. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Worthlessly Worthwhile. Thanks for listening.